Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Verse 11, the Bible says, Go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And, the Lord, and after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, We Need to Hear God. Pray with me. God, thank you for being the God who speaks to us. God, I pray now you would do that very thing. God, I ask you to anoint me to say the things that you'd have me to say today. And I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you say in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to hear God. There is so much going on in the world today. Uh, if you've been alive at all, if you turned on any television at all in the last week, you've probably seen that the Queen of England, uh, the uh, UK Commonwealth, and all the realms uh, died this past week at 96 years old. And I have seen so much trash, dirt, and hate splashed about the Queen on the Internet. And I'm like, y'all trashing somebody y'all never even met uh, from, from a country you've never even been to. Now, the queen has always been uh, more special to me than the average American. Uh, Dina and I went to school for three years in England. I, I was there for kindergarten, first and second grade, and I was telling the, the staff this morning, the queen looked old to me back then. But, you know, I was six, and she was. So she's been the queen for a really long time, and um, the stuff that people are saying about the queen, I'm not here to talk about her, but I will tell you this. In my estimation, she was the godliest leader, figurehead, politician, monarch, uh, whatever capacity you want to look at her, that the world has known, at least in my lifetime. Uh, if, if you read the way she was brought up, her mother was such a devout Christian. Queen Elizabeth said uh, two years before she died that she had never known a day that she could remember from her earliest childhood until now that kneeling beside her bed in prayer to God was not her custom. Uh, Franklin Graham said of the queen, she's so, she's so well-versed in the scripture, it, it made him marvel at her biblical literacy when compared to speaking to leaders from America. And all the queen does, that she doesn't make laws, all, all they do is walk around and do charity. Uh, Prince Philip uh, her husband who died two years ago, how, how often do we see that? Couples that have been married for 40, 50, 60 years, one dies and the other one doesn't live much longer. He, he made it to 99, she made it to 96. But 
he was uh, he headed over four thousand charities. Um, all those royals do is uh, get up in the morning, get dressed up, and go to children's hospitals and read books to dying kids and and do service work and do charitable work. Um, it, it, it's not like the prince and princess you see in Disney World. And uh, I told the staff, I believe that's why Harry and Meghan uh, came back to America. Imagine a, a beautiful young American woman marries into the royal family of England. Uh, what's, what's she thinking? I'm a princess. I'm a princess. I'll get a mani-pedi every day. Then she got over there to England, and they said, no, you got to wear more modest clothing than that, and you got to get up and go to the hospital today and read books to dying people. That's not what little girls think of when it's, when it's said to be a princess. But um, that, that, that big news, uh, I, I, I believe we ought to be aware of what's going on in the world, and this is the longest-standing monarch uh, in British history, and... From my perspective, uh, a standard bearer for Christ, unashamed of Christ. But she was free from the political uh, trappings that our politicians hold. You ever notice come election time, every politician's a Christian? All of them want to show up in a church and talk about God and, and just believe whatever you believe. You ever notice come election time, Everybody that's running is for education and jobs and the middle class. You ever notice how come election time, everybody that's running wants to make America better and, and, and wants to be the right candidate to, to take us to, a, to, a, to the place we need to be? And then once election's over, what? You don't see them no more. Oh, where's all these promises? Where, where, where's, all, where's all this love and unity? Where, where's, where's all this kinder, gentler nation? Mm. We have not seen the likes of Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II as, as any type of politician in America, uh, and I'm certain of that. But enough about the Queen. Let's get on to some more relevant news that, that hits closer to our shores. 21 years ago today, America was attacked uh, by what we were told uh, was al-Qaeda. Could be. I'm not an expert. What I do know is that almost 3,000 Americans lost their life uh, in, in that one day. Uh, my son, uh, he's finished with it now. Uh, well, Marines don't mess around. They climbed uh, 2,996 stairs earlier this morning. Uh, in, well, they didn't have 3,000 stairs or 2,996, they kept going up and down the same ones. Um, but they counted them out uh, in memory. And this is, this is really a defining moment for, for the lives of most people who weren't uh, around. I was a couple of months old when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. That was a defining moment for our parents and people older than me. But this 9-11, it, it's one of those moments where most people who were uh, of any age at all, remember where they were, what they were doing, remember that day as standing out. I remember it was a Tuesday. The only, remember, only reason I remember it was a Tuesday is because we had church that night because so many people were calling me asking, could we get together and pray? When We'd never seen anything like this happen 
uh, on American soil. And it, it, was, it was such a big event to where it may be the only time in my 59 years being on this planet that Americans came together as Americans, not as Republicans or Democrats, not as white people or black people, not as uh, naturalized or immigrants, but people came together and uh, realized we, we are one nation here. And they even tried to say under God, the experts that have studied that, let's go to church uh, and we need to seek God, estimate that that phenomenon lasted for less than three weeks. And then people went spiritually back into their same routine. So, so what, what I see happening from all this is whether it was, I remember the Passion of the Christ when it was released. I saw it on early release because uh, it came out on a Wednesday instead of a Friday for early release viewing. And I saw it because I knew people were going to be asking, was it a movie people should go see? And, and people got all stirred up. And Channel 4 News was at the Orange Park Mall, and people were coming outside crying, and they were putting a microphone in their face, and people were saying, oh, I never knew he died for me like that. I'm going to love him forever. Uh, that, yeah, that's short-lived. I've been to conferences where I left. Uh, telling, the, telling the preacher I was riding with, I, this, this has changed me forever. Uh, you know, ham sandwich later, I was right back to who I am. Um, <laughs> we, we, we have these life-shaking events, and then we go right back to where we are. If you're wondering why I'm, I'm wearing this T-shirt today, it's not to represent the team on the shirt is because this, this nerve damage on the side of my face and this scar that's healing uh, still is just not ready for a collar. So uh, pray, pray for that um, as well. I see some of you trying to read what's on my shirt. Uh, that's not what's important. What's important is that we need to hear God. But the people came together a- after 9-11. Uh, they, they sought God briefly. Let me tell you, and it's been said many times, but I hope you get the meaning of it. So many people approach their Christian walk, their Christian maturization process as a series of sprints where they'll run real hard toward God for short periods of time. You watch sprinters. Watch, watch a 100-yard or 100-meter dash. Those people, that's the most perfect. If you want to see the type of body everybody on the planet should have, it's a 100-meter sprinter. Those are the most muscled up, lean, strong uh, people in the world. They run so hard for 100 meters, and then they just collapse and, and, and need, need, to, need to rehydrate. And I'm like, you ran from here to there. But uh, they go all out real hard, real fast for a short period of time. And that's the way a lot of people approach Christianity. And some have said that Christianity, it's not a series of short sprints, but it's a marathon. It's even longer than a marathon, though. It's a lifelong journey. And I want you to know there, it's good to have seasons of sprinting forward in Christ. We, we all need that. But what we don't need is collapsing at the supposed finish line when God's not really finished with us yet. And I want to encourage you to keep moving closer to God. I want to talk to you about hearing God. I, I hear people talk in, in church circles and in the body of Christ about 
hearing God speak to them as, as if somebody sat next to them and talked to them in their ear. And I want you to hear from my mouth, I don't believe it works that way. I'm not saying it never happened. I'm just saying it doesn't typically happen this, that way. I've been studying this book for over 40 years, and, and I can tell you it, it, it doesn't mostly work like that. Now, I'm not the final authority. I don't know everything. God can do whatever he wants to do, but here's one thing he can't do. He'll never act contrary to his written word. And the Bible says that we have these stories for our examples so that we can learn from them. And I want us to see how God spoke to Elijah thousands of years ago uh, because if he did it then, he'd still do it that way now. God is consistent. Say consistent. Of all the attributes of God, one, one of the, the characteristics, the, the who and what and how he is of God, uh, probably the one that has brought me most comfort in my life is the immutability of God. Now, immutable is a big word, a theological word that simply means that it's unchanging. But the expanded definition of the immutability of God not only means that he doesn't change, it means that he can't change. And you need to understand that because people th say, say there's nothing that God can't do. Oh, there's quite a few things God can't do. God can't change because he's already here. If he changed, he'd go higher, which meant he wasn't high enough, or he'd go lower, which meant he's not high enough. God's already perfect, and he can't change from what he is to anything else. He can't lie, and he can't act contrary to his written word. The fact that God doesn't change in a world of change, you, if you're saved, ought to allow that to comfort you. You ought to allow it to, to be a reassuring thought to stabilize you, to know in the midst of everything changing, God won't change. Some of you have thought that you'd have friends forever. They're not around anymore, and that shook you to your core. Aren't you glad God's still around? Some of you have thought that life would go on a certain way forever, but it doesn't. We live in an ever-changing world, and that's why God is so different than what we are programmed to expect. He never changes, and he cannot change. Psalm 102, 27 says, you're always the same. Malachi 3, 6, God said, I am the Lord, and I do not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you fall asleep in the next 20 minutes and you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this really well. God never changes. Anything that you've ever known to be true about God will be true a billion years from now. Any way that God ever acted in the past, he'll still be acting that same way a billion years from now. While everyone around you changes, and while the earth changes, still God will not change. I heard something uh, that, that set me back one time in the early days of being at the potter's house, I heard Bishop say one time when he was preaching about hearing God speak. And imagine how, how this would sound coming out of the mouth of your pastor. Bishop said this, I've never heard God speak directly to me. Nobody wants to hear the preacher say that. Nobody wants to hear the bishop say, I've never heard God speak directly to me. Then he followed it up and said everything that he had ever done in Christ, he had done by faith. 
And I thought, well, now that's better. Because doing something by faith is going to please God. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. In Hebrews 11.6 it says it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. We need to learn to hear God by faith. We need to learn to listen to God and be moved by faith into action. We're going to see it in just a minute, but listen to this quote from Dr. King. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Oh, look at that and let that set in for a minute. Uh, People want to know what's down the road. People want to know how's it all going to work out. People want to know is it going to be okay in the end. Well, I got good news for every Christian. Uh, I don't know how your mortgage is going to work out. I don't know how your retirement is going to work out. I don't know how your health is going to work out. But I do know if you're talking about the end as the end, it's going to work out in the end for the children of God because we're going to be with Him. Oh, but people want to see all down the road. I love what one theologian said. People want a spotlight that shines miles down the road so they can see the future when all God ever offered was a lamp unto your feet. See, if you've ever been out in the woods and you had that old Coleman lantern, uh, you held it down here. You didn't hold it up here because it didn't matter what was happening up here if you were about to step into a six-foot hole down here. So you hold it, and all it does, as you move forward, the light of the lamp moves forward. You take a step, there was light for your next step, and I believe that's the way that God works. I love that quote from Dr. King. I'm going to give you uh, another quote this morning from Uh, Thomas Aquinas, he said, To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. Oh, read that again and let that sink in. If you really have faith, I don't need to explain everything to you. And see, this is the joy of new converts. This is the joy of young Christians who first get saved. And all they know is that they're saved. And all they know is life's better, and I'm in love with God. And they're not weighed down by a bunch of uh, things that they don't know. But when you have faith, you don't need somebody to explain the Trinity to you. You just believe that uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one because that's what the Bible tells us. If you have faith, you don't need to understand how biologically that God is going to gather together people's bodies who were exploded in in, uh, uh, explosions and put them off. You just know God says he's going to take us up to heaven. No explanation necessary. Be careful when you start needing deep explanations about spiritual matters because then your faith is beginning to lose to what you can see. There's a lot of talk in churches about faith and there's a lot of talk in churches about God manifesting himself. People people want to see God show up, and I want to see God show up. People want God to show up in a clear and visible way, a tangible way, doing something. But God told me something years ago, and I I want you to hear it. He he told me something about his showing up. He he told me that uh, he knows that I want him to manifest, but but I felt a sense of saying, but you need to manifest first. 
And I've been telling you for years, we want God to show up, to step in and do something when we haven't really taken full account of the fact that he stepped in 2,000 years ago, was beaten, crucified, died, and raised from the dead. He's already done the big thing. We want him to do the next thing when he's looking at us and we need to do the first thing. God responds to faith. I believe uh, God would, would, would tell us uh, if he was to show up first, that wouldn't require faith. And faith is what pleases God. And, and that's why people who sit around and tell me, you know, God came to me last night, sat in my easy chair, and shared four things with me. Is that specific? You saw him with your eyes. You heard him with your ear. You, 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 you had that kind of... Listen, all that tells me is you have weak faith. If that's, the, if that's the only way you hear God, now I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. You, you, you check the scripture for yourself, but the Bible says to try every spirit. The Bible teaches us that we got to compare these things against the word of God and the, and the character of God, and I am certain that God wants us to manifest faith, and then he will manifest himself. It's when he is touched by our faith that God smiles on us because the Christian life is a life of faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by faith. Romans 1, 17 says we live by faith. Acts 15, 9 says that our hearts have been purified by faith. Acts 26, 18 says we're sanctified by faith. Romans 3, 8 says we're justified by faith. Romans 5, 2 says we have access to God by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we live by by faith. Galatians 3.26 says we're the children of God by faith. Ephesians 3.17 says Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. I want you to get this. Christianity is a by faith religion. If you have to see it to believe it, you can never embrace the Christian religion because it's a by faith religion. And this is why the Bible says not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise have God called into his kingdom. But he chose the lesser things of the world to confound the wise. See, wise people want to figure everything out. That's why if you're real intellectual, that's why if you're real studious, that's why if, if you desire to know everything before you respond to something, you're really going to struggle with Christianity because I, I, I broke it down as easy as I can. And, and you ought to know by now, uh, when you can't figure it out, you got to what? Your faith. You just believe it because. Well, I'm not wired up that way, preacher. I'm a lot more smart than you are, and I'm very intellectual. And I need, I, need to, I need to see it. I need to study it. I need to run it through my brain. Uh, ain't you special? And you'll never embrace Christ. Because he already said, unless you can come to him with childlike faith. Do you know what, what every grown man's son used to think of him was that their daddy could beat up every daddy on the block? That wasn't true. Well, for some of us. But they just believed it because they were little kids and they, they, they had a high view of their father. When we first get saved, we have a high view of God and then we let life crowd it out. 
And then we go through stuff. And when God doesn't jump through the magic hoops that we ask him to jump through and fix all of our mess, we, we, we begin to doubt God and the power of God. And I want to remind you, God, God never promised to bless our mess. But he did, he did promise to respond to faith. Let's get into our text this morning, 1 Kings 19, 11. Now, here in 1 Kings 19, Elijah needs to hear from God. There's a bunch of stuff going on, and Elijah needs to hear from God. Elijah is in a cave. Say cave. He has gone out from, a, out from the hustle and bustle. He is, he is in a cave, and he is desperate to hear from God. And in verse 11 of 1 Kings 19, God says, Go out and stand before me on the mountain. So Elijah, he stands there, and the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. Now, don't miss this, because I'm going to tell you that God was, was not the wind. God was, was, was not there. But it says that the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm. Okay, so God created the windstorm. Uh, a mighty windstorm passed by. It, it hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. So we look at this mountain. Now, see, church folk love to be on the mountain. See, if you don't know church uh, Christianese, if you don't know religious language, being on the mountain is when we, we feel really good about the way life is going. We're happy and er everything is, is just clicking on all cylinders and every good preacher reminds you that mountaintop experiences are great but the grass is greener in the valley. And nothing grows on the mountain but it all happens in the valley. See, but the average church person wants to live from mountaintop to mountaintop, from emotional high to emotional high. That's why they chase concerts more than they chase prayer. Oh, man, I've said more right there than, than you're li liable to hear in any other place. That's why they, they, they chase visual stuff more than they chase faith stuff. Uh, that's what the way we want it. Now, the windstorm, the Bible says, tore up the rocks. And I've heard people say this expression. I've never liked it. I've never agreed with it. It may be part of your learned vernacular from churches you've been to, people you've been around. But I, I've heard people say stuff like, oh, God just wrecked me. I went to a, I went to a revival meeting Friday and, and I, God just wrecked me on the inside. He just tore me up. God's not in the wrecking business. God's not in the tearing up business. God is in the putting things back together business. That's just emo what they mean is my emotions were all over the place. My, my emotional heartstrings got tugged at, and that's not what we need. We don't need more emotion about God. We need more manifestation from God. We need to see God more clearly and hear Him more clearly. Clearly, because the scripture says God was not in the wind. It also says that after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Oh, people love the, the, the symbolism 
of an earthquake. And I've heard so many people say, I just want to be there when God shows up and shakes the place. Well, why don't you get in your prayer closet and let God shake you? See, that one is chasing emotion and feel good. The other takes effort and discipline. And the Bible says God was not in the earthquake. Then in verse 12, it says, after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. I'm going to take a side note real quick that's not in my message just to prove what I told you in the past is real. I told you that we've allowed people who don't love our God to make money by um, appropriating religious concepts, Christian concepts, uh, things out of the Bible. And uh, I don't know if it stood out to you right now, but you had an earthquake some wind and some non-Christians realize the truth of God's word. They, they know at least what Reverend Ike said. I can't lose with what I use. And God says, I, I, I wasn't in that earthquake. I wasn't in that windstorm. I wasn't in that fire, but after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Many translations say a still, small voice on the inside. On the inside, a gentle whisper. Now, here's the reality. Most people don't hear a whisper because they're hard of hearing. Now, Elder Jimmy had his hearing tested. I don't know if he paid the doctor off. But if I remember the story right, um, when, when you get your hearing tested, when you get to be our age, you get your hearing tested, and they, they show that there's certain frequencies that you hear better than others. All right? Now, uh, if, I, if I remember the story right, the doctor said this, whether he paid the doctor to say this or not, that you hear certain ranges good and others bad. And the range that you hear the least is the range your wife speaks in. Women and children. He can't hear women and children. He said, hallelujah. I say payoff. Gave the doctor a hundred. Said, uh, tell my wife I can't hear when she speaks. But most people can't hear a whisper either because they've grown hard of hearing spiritually or they have, and hear this, because this is the big one, too much noise around them. Too much noise. Now, if God is speaking in a whisper, and he is, how do you know he's speaking in a whisper? Because he's spoken a whisper, and he never changes. We have these stories for our examples that we can learn from them, the Scripture tells us. He does the same thing today that he did then because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he spoke in a whisper then, what do you think he's speaking in now? So if you're spiritually hard of hearing, you're going to have to fix that. If you've got too much noise around you, you're going to have to fix that. Elijah's in a cave, and he's away from all this stuff. And it gives him the ability 
to hear God in verse 13. When Elijah heard it. Heard what? The sound of God. The voice of God. Heard what God was saying. Most of us live lives of earth, wind, and fire. Most of us live lives of big stuff happening, attention being drawn here, there, and to the other place. Whatever's loudest gets our attention first. I, I promise you, I'm not going to do it right now, but if somebody just stood up in the back and smashed a pair of cymbals together right now, the majority of people would turn around and look, four of y'all are asleep. To, you know, God couldn't wake you up. But we respond to loud. We learned that lesson early. Uh, you know, mom and dad talking in a normal voice, you can go on acting crazy. They raise their voice, guess what? You better, you better listen. We, we've been conditioned in the natural to respond to loud things, but God is what the ancients called holy other. He's different than what we've been conditioned to. And Elijah finally hears God because he wasn't concentrating on the noise. He wasn't concentrating on the environment. He wasn't concentrating on what was going on around him. He did momentarily. But then when he realized God's not in all that noise, God's not in all that. And I'll tell you something, the church is great at noise. Uh, you might know if you've heard me tell you, maybe you don't, but I'll inform you today. Do you know what the number one reason most people choose a church, the church they go to? You know why they go there? Because of the music. Because of the music. Uh, experts say that the average person, has, the average church visitor has made up their mind if they'll ever come back to the church or not within the first 10 minutes of being there. Well, it certainly ain't about the preacher. Any preacher thinking that his preaching is dragging people in is, is overconfident. And any people worrying about that his preaching is driving people out is overconfident still. People make up their decision in the first 10 minutes. You don't hear the preacher preach in the first 10 minutes. You, you see the people. You see how they come in. You, you witness the noise. You, you, you see everything in the natural. Mm, don't look like my kind of crowd. Oh, well, you ain't coming back no way. I don't like that song. Well, you weren't coming back? No way. And, and see, that's why some preachers just let, light off with both barrels because they know this is the only time I'm ever going to get a shot at them. Let me go ahead and give it everything I got. But... We have perfected noise-making in the church. We've perfected visualization in the church. There's a church in our city, one of the largest churches in our city. Um, church, church is less than 20 years old, and they, they got together, and they were the young, hip, cool church, and it was a bunch of skinny jeans, and, and all, all, the, all the staff had spiked-up hair with frosted tips and puka shell necklaces, wearing flip-flops to church like they got no sense, and growing because they were what the Bible calls tickling the ears of the people. They, they, they were saying smooth things. They, they were saying things that made people feel good about themselves, not necessarily telling them the truth about God. But as the years progresses, this is about seven years ago now, and, hey, I'm not saying that, that, that the church is horrible. I'm just saying this is a factual story. They went to one of their original praise and worship singers. 
You know, they had the band on stage, and everybody was, was, was you know, easy to look at. And, and they went to this lady who had just passed over 40, because she was young when, when they started. And they said, you know, we appreciate your years. She'd been there for like seven years. They said, we appreciate your years of service uh, on our praise and worship team. Uh, but we're transitioning right now. And uh, we, we'd really like for you to look toward the children's church ministries or the nursery because uh, we're trying to present a younger uh, presence on stage and a certain look. Anybody know what that meant? You know what that's code for? You're old and ugly. You're old and ugly. You don't look the role. You can't stand up here with the pretty people no more. You, you know, you hit that wall and you're on the backside. So could you imagine if that had been you? You had given seven years of your life to that ministry, paid tithes, offerings, served, sang every time they told. Didn't tell her she couldn't sing good because she could. Didn't, didn't tell her she wasn't a worshiper because she was. Said you just don't look right for our presentation. How many of y'all know? Uh, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to know, where, where to, if, if, if you think you're, you're young and pretty and up and coming and you need to be in a church surrounded by young, pretty, up and coming people, I can give you five of them right now off the top of my list, and that's all they're looking for. When the Bible says that God's house should be called a house of prayer for all people. Mm. But we've perfected it, man. Church, church life, they know how to present look. They know how to present sound. It's all in the visual. It's in the promotion and the presentation. You don't get a lot of that here at Abundant Life. Uh, what, what, what you get here is straight truth, no chaser. What you get here is... Uh, true heartfelt praise and worship. I've told the, the uh, choir, the praise team, that I feel that God is more concerned with us doing it from the heart than how great it sounds to the ear. Y'all didn't hear me. That's what God's about. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Ooh, Pastor Scott, my, my last church, we had laser lights and fog machines, and we had the best musicians. Listen, I know a church... And this, this is over 10 years ago, too. I know a church that pays their bass guitar player $800 a service to play three songs on bass guitar. What do you think they're paying the drummer and the keyboard player? Well, I can tell you what we're paying the drummer and the keyboard player. You don't believe me? Ask Victor. Nothing. I can tell you what we're paying the bass player and the guitar player. Nothing. Now, that's not to say we've never paid before. The Bible says the workman's worthy of his hire. But if, you, if we put all our attention into presentation, we'd, we'd totally would, we'd, we'd bring in strobe lights, color lights. The majority, well, every megachurch right now has smart lighting that follows people. around. You know they got lights you can program a computer to uh, that not only follow the music, but you can get it to follow the person doing the speaking. We've perfected noise and visualization. But what God say? No, nah, I wasn't in that. That's not to say that it's wrong, but that's what people are looking for. And when you get your eyes looking for the wrong thing, you're going to miss the big thing. And that is God. God's word says in chapter 19, verse 13, when Elijah heard it. I want you to get to a place where you hear it. I want you to get to a place where you hear God. 
now just based on what we've read, is that liable, is that, is that liable to be in something that stimulates your vision? Not liable to. Is that liable to be in something that stimulates your hearing? Not liable to. It's going to be in something that comes in a small whisper, something that requires concentration, something that requires deep thought, something that requires calming yourself down. See, it's a lot of fun. I've, I've been in church. I've been a member of churches. I've been in mega churches. I've taught in mega churches. I've preached in mega churches. And I'm going to tell you something. The music at the average mega church will blow out any concert you've got on your schedule for the rest of the year. The bucking, the shouting, the dancing, I'm talking about just throw down, tickle your funny bone. Just, I just, and people are like, I just love the, that's fine, I get it. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but what I'm saying is you're never going to hear God clearly until you stop looking with your eyes and hearing with your ears and calm yourself down and stop trying to be visually and auditorily stimulated. Elijah heard it, and he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. When you hear clearly from God, it's going to change everything about you. Maybe not everything, but it's going to change certain things. It's going to change the way other people see you. It's going to make you respond to something differently. It's going to move you from where you are to where you need to be. And he didn't need to be inside that cave. He needed to be outside that cave watching and waiting for the Lord. And so he wrapped his face in a cloak and he stood at the entrance and a voice said. Now God's not whispering anymore because he finally got his attention. There was a marketing trick that went through the body of Christ years ago. You may have seen it. There was a time where people used to put windshield lettering on the back of their car, big, giant letters. They put their business on there. Churches were putting their stuff on there. But then the marketing geniuses realized it's not that big stuff that stands out. Nobody pays it. And they started writing names of churches real tiny. It was little, little tiny letters. And the marketing experts say that will cause them to concentrate on it. And what they concentrate on, they will uh, retain. Most people don't want to concentrate on God to retain God. They just want to go to church and get all wowed and uh, bedazzled and walk out unaffected. But when you hear that still small voice in your heart when you listen so intently that you hear the whisper of God then you can begin to hear the voice of God we got to learn how to quiet down we got to learn how to get close to God so we can be led by God Elijah's need was not the cave Elijah's need was to be led by God that's what we need today we we, we don't need to uh, listen, we, we can go through all the steps in the world. We can take all the Dr. Seuss books off the shelf. That's not going to fix racism in the hearts of evil people. We can tear down every statue in America. That's not going to fix racism in the hearts of people. We can rename every high school in the, state, in, in the country. That's not, I'm not saying these things are wrong to do. And, and, and it could be a process of getting to where we need to get to. But you cannot reach the heart with external means we got to begin to speak to the heart of people. 
And that's why God speaks in that whisper because everybody won't hear it, but the one hearing it is the one listening for it. And I don't know where you are today, but if I need to scream at you, then you, you probably aren't desperate to hear the voice of God. Romans 8.14 says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We need to be led do we have that verse? We need to be led. Romans 8, 14 says we need to be led by the Spirit of God because we're the children of God. God wants to lead us in our homes, on our jobs, in our neighborhoods, while we're at church, moment by moment, second by second, step by step. God wants to lead us, but he's not going to compete with music. He's not going to compete with light shows. He's not going to compete with your television. He's not going to compete with your stereo. He's not going to compete with your hobbies. So it's really your choice whether you hear God or not. He leads us, Romans tells us. Why, why, why is it so hard to hear that voice, I told you, because it's a gentle voice that comes in the midst of things that are loud. And life is loud. Oh, life is loud. And it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you stand on. It doesn't matter what your background is. Life is just loud. Because people think they need to scream to be heard. But God is not going to scream above the chaos in the world. Oh, he could. He, he, he could speak in the, in, the, in, the, in the thunder. He could write it on, on, on the clouds in red marker. But he's not going to because he said it's a faith thing. It's an inside thing. It's, not gonna be, it's probably not going to be loud. It's probably not going to be dramatic. So how do we hear it? I'm going to give you three things. We're going to get out of here early. How do we hear it? Number one, we remove ourselves from the hustle and bustle of life. We remove ourselves from the hustle and bustle of life. If you've got every minute of every day of every week timed out, then, then you're probably not going to be led by God at a high level. You've got to remove yourself from the hustle and bustle of life. I, I heard somebody, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, man, I'm, I, 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 I hope church is short this, this coming week because I got to get home for the game. See, football's back. And America loves football. Nothing wrong with football. But if you're going to spend three and a half hours sitting down watching a football game, are you ever going to spend three and a half hours alone with God? Ouch. Oh. Whoo. We, we, we got to get away from the hustle and bustle of life. Silence has proven itself not only to be painful to the human condition, but to drive people insane. As a people, we don't long for silence. We long for no. Some of y'all sleep with the radio on. Well, it helps me sleep. Some of y'all let your children study with the TV or the radio on because in their mind, listen, that doesn't help you sleep or study. Your mind is not comfortable with silence. You ought to just admit that. 
You're not alone. The, when they want to punish the worst offenders in our penal system, they, they don't put them in, in, in a room with a lot of people and noise. They put them in solitary confinement. And they have to sit there, and the sound that they hear is the screaming in their head. And many people have gone insane by that. I guarantee you, I'm not going to do it. But if I put total silence on this room right now for four minutes, it would be so awkward. People would be squirming like, I mean, if I did it without setting you up for it. Now, if I set you up for it and did it, it still would be awkward. Try it. Try it. While you're awake. Some of y'all, you sit still, uh, according to Dean, if Deacon Scott sits sit still for five minutes when he gets home from work because he gets up early, works all day long, that's, that's knocked out, mouth open, snoring the roof down. But when you're awake, try to sit in silence. The, the Bible says that God is glorious and let all the earth be still in his presence. The scripture says we should learn how to be still and commune with God on our own bed. How long can you lay still in the presence of God without falling asleep or turning on some type of stimula stimulation? I, I think it was Wednesday night I shared that there was a survey done and it showed over 80%. And this is, they included old people. This was from young to old, 80% of all Americans. The first thing they do when they wake up in the morning, uh, my answer would be go to the bathroom. Uh, but 80% of, so I'm in the 20%, 80% of Americans reach for their cell phone. The last thing they see at night is their cell phone when they finally pry it out of their hand and set it down. And the first thing they see in the morning is their cell phone when they put it back into their hand to, to be attached to for the rest of the day. I want to tell you something. That's counterproductive to a Christian who wants to hear from God. The first thing you should do when you wake up in the morning is address the Lord. Thank him for life. Say good morning to God. Now, Everybody hasn't been in the military. I thank God for the few years that I was in the Army. Uh, everybody hasn't been in the military, but you can understand military mindset. A lot of corporate places run in a, you know almost similar fashion. But do you know what happens when a senior member of the military walks in front of you, especially if you're at a trade dock? Installation. Do you know if you're an E3 and an E7 walks past you and you're sitting on a bench, do you know what you're supposed to do? Stand up and give them the greeting of the day. That's good morning, First Sergeant. Good afternoon, Sergeant Major. Good evening, sir, if it's an officer. If you sit there unaffected, that's a no-go. You, you, you're not allowed to do that. You just can't sit there unmoved if the commanding officer walks in a room full of field-grade officers, 04 and higher. Guess what they all have to do? Stand up. Greet this person. 
Uh, I don't even remember that kid's name. We were living on the lake. A little friend of yours, you, you had, uh, y'all were playing computers, uh, playing games, and you finally had to tell him, you know, when my dad comes in the house, he, he you know, he, you don't have to jump through hoops, but he at least wants you to say hello to him. I knew this kid had been raised bad. I'm trying to have a conversation with, with the first time in my house I'd ever seen him, and he never even looked back from his computer. I thought, man, you better stand up and acknowledge me. I've been here using my computer games, playing it, breathing my air conditioning. Probably want something out of my refrigerator. But I recognize senior officer in this whole building just walked into place. How do you wake up in the morning and not recognize the existence of the one true and living God in your life? Well, maybe he's not in your life. Or maybe you've just grown so accustomed to natural living that you don't pay attention. We need to remove ourselves from the hustle and bustle of life. Second thing we need to do is get alone with God. Sounds so simple. I've been talking about a quiet time since I, I first got saved. You need to have a quiet time, a daily time, an appointment with God that you don't miss. An appointment with God that you don't miss. you got to get alone with God. And it needs to be scheduled. Because if you don't schedule it, it will get pushed out. Well, I, 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 I have to get up and go to work. So I have to get up so early to be to work on time. Well, why can't you get up so early to meet with God on time? Well, because I'm tired. Well, why don't you go to bed earlier? Because I work late. Oh, you work early and late? You should be giving more. I mean, you need to schedule a time with God, best case in the morning, best case. you got to, you got to talk to God in the morning. It might not be your biggest quiet time, but you, ought to, you you got to read something out of God's book before you leave your house. And that's why I encourage you to read the proverb of the day. Today's September 11th. You ought to read Proverbs 11. Read the chapter that corresponds with the day of the week. Why? Because the average proverb takes between three and four minutes to read is very short. But it'll give you fuel for your day. It'll give you focus for your journey. And it will give you the opportunity before you get into traffic, before you get cut off on your way to work, before your boss acts like a total fool. It'll give you time to have heard from God. <laughs> got to get away from that hustle and bustle. You got to get alone with God. Last thing I want to talk to you about is we got to listen on the inside. Say inside. Listen on the inside. Now, here's the problem with that. It takes time. It takes time. It's not like a text. We text people, we expect a response. We call some of y'all slick. Your phone company's so slick. When you send people to voicemail, it's already got that little... Hey, y'all know about that pre-printed, I'll call you back soon. Uh, you just press that button and shoots them, shoots them a text. I'll call you right back. Listen, we expect quick response. If you're still emailing people, um, let, me, let me let you know something. Nobody's reading email anymore. Well, they read mine. <laughs> well, maybe. Email is our, our, the, today's version of snail mail. 
They, they say that the average email gets open between 1 and 20 hours. So it's a wide gap. But the average text message gets open within a minute. Why is it that way? Well, it's the same way because of uh, Jiffy Pop popcorn. Some of y'all old enough to remember. Jiffy Pop popcorn was the joint. It really was. I'm talking about... Uh, the, the handle, you, you, remember, you had to peel that little paper lid off, yeah, set it on that burner, and just, and it just, but you know, that took too much work. They would burn, you better pay attention. So that took too much work. So next, anybody know what came out next? We had one, the air popper, and it would just, and it would, the kernels would shoot over and fall out down the spout into the bowl. Required less work, wasn't any better. And then that got replaced because what still required some work and time, that got replaced with microwave popcorn. Same thing happened to mashed potatoes. Got replaced with instant mashed potatoes, which not altogether horrible if you put enough butter and salt and pepper on them. Same thing that happened to grits. Got replaced with instant grits, which should be a crime. <laughs> punishable by death. There's not enough butter, salt, and pepper to fix instant grits. You got to cook grits. But we have been conditioned. How about these cars now? You got these people buying cars online. This car just shows up at your house. I don't even like to buy clothes online. I'm 59 years old. I want to touch it, smell it, drive it. Just the groceries? Nah, I ain't got time to be going to Walmart. Let me just, I'll click this. Uh, I pick them up at the curb. Why well, ain't you busy? Well, not as busy as my cousin. They get them delivered from Publix. You don't have time to go to the grocery store and buy a gallon of milk. Listen to me. You are busy in your mind. You're busy in your mind. You have time to go get milk at the grocery. Well, it's just not convenient. See, that's where you fell into the trap. Believing that life is supposed to be quick, easy, and convenient. Because God is none of that. I don't even know if I want to get into May as well. Back in the day, if you would have said booty call, nobody would have known what you meant. There had to be some courtship going on. There had to be some time investment going on. First date, not happening. Until today, people so lazy today, they don't even meet. They just have it online. That's as graphic as I'm going to be for you, but I want to let you know, we have been conditioned for instant gratification. No effort. No, 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 no. Listen, God is not looking for part-time lovers or a quickie. 
God is looking for people who love him or are hungry for him and who desire to follow him by faith. And that takes time. It takes effort. It takes discipline. We got to listen on the inside. Hear me good and I'm done. You can't listen on the inside when noise is all around you. Some of you are going to have to just let, let the family know. I am not available. If the house is burning down, if you want to leave, leave. But don't knock on my door. I'm not a, if the house burns down, good. I'll be in prayer as it burns down. One of the greatest things I ever saw, and I don't agree with this man's theology, but there is a pastor in, in Korea who at one time had the world's largest church. And literally, his church was on top of a mountain. And the majority of the people that went there arrived on foot, and it was an hour to walk up the mountain to get to the church and an hour to walk back down where the majority of his people came from. Could you imagine if we set this church on top of a mountain and you had to walk to get to it in the rain, in the cold, in the heat? Americans wouldn't come. So this man had grown the largest church in the world. So, you know, Americans, they want instant results. So what they did is they called this pastor, and they had him come do a conference. And he did a pastor's conference because pastors love to spend church money going to conferences because that means they get to eat at restaurants on the church credit card, and they get to fly on the church credit card, and they get to stay in nice hotels. On the Pastors love to go to conferences. And so they had him into this pastor's conference. And the day session uh, was... Nine to five, break, a couple of breaks, break for lunch, and then a night session. So this pastor got up and said, I've been asked to speak to the pastors who are present on how to get God to bless your ministry and possibly grow your church larger. And it was nine o'clock in the morning. He said, we'll begin the first session in prayer. He said, and we will pray until lunch, and then we'll reconvene at 1 p.m. My man knelt right down where he was standing, started praying. American pastors in the room, how long do you think they can stomach sitting there being told to pray? A couple of minutes, people started getting antsy. It's a factual story. You can look it up. One pastor, busy in his mind, sent one of his underlings, said, go up there and ask them, go up there and ask them how long we're going to be doing this before we get to the teaching. So I didn't come here to watch some man pray. See, he thought he was supposed to be watching the man. The pastor said, we will pray. So the underling comes back. He said, they're going to pray until noon. Well, he already knew that. He said, well, go tap him on his shoulder where he's at and ask him if he's really going to pray till noon. Underling did what he was supposed to do, went up there, and he got stopped. And they said, you can't, you can't disturb pastor while he's praying. He's talking to the one true God. That pastor and his underlings got up and left. They're like, I didn't fly all the way here to watch some man pray. Prayed all the way to lunch. Stood up, said, I hope you enjoy 
your afternoon meal. We'll come back at 1 o'clock. Came back at 1 o'clock. All the smart people in the room know what happened. He said, we'll now pray to the one true God until 5 p.m. He got on his knees. The majority of the people got up and left. They came there for instruction. They got it. But it wasn't the fast rate. It wasn't the three keys. It wasn't the, uh, the tweak this here and your crowd will double. He gave them instruction on how to get the blessing of God on their church. Came back the next day and did the exact same thing. Came back Wednesday on a five-day conference. Did the same thing Wednesday morning. 9 to 12, prayed. Total silence. Came back at 1 o'clock, shocked them. Had the church pass out notebooks for them to take notes on. And he began to speak to them. It wasn't until he prayed all morning Monday, all afternoon Monday, all morning Tuesday, all afternoon Tuesday, all morning Wednesday, and then the ones that were left, he said, I hope those of you who are left are ready to receive from the Lord. And he taught Wednesday afternoon, Thursday and Friday. Half the crowd had already got on planes, cars, and gone back home. Why did they leave? They, this, this man had the largest church in the world. They wanted him to instruct them on how to get the blessing of God on their life. He was instructing them visually and biblically. But it wasn't what they wanted. Last story I'll tell you and we'll go. When the Potter's House used to be called Word of Faith Church, I was a member of both Word of Faith Church and the Potter's House, but when we were Word of Faith Church on Seaboard Avenue, first year I was there, they said, we're going to have a lock-in. Prayer lock-in. Friday night after church. We had Friday night church. So this was going to go from midnight to 8 o'clock. So church got over. We had time to run, go get something, come right back. Elder Tyrone Thompson from one of the islands, Caribbean islands, he stood up and he said, I want you to get yourself comfortable, establish a posture of prayer that would honor God, and we'll pray. I thought, oh, we're not going to make s'mores? Last lock-in I went to, we made s'mores. What are we doing? We're going to play hide-and-seek. We're going to play Bible trivia knowledge games. What are we, we going to do? This man started praying. I never heard this anywhere before then or since. This man prayed out loud on a microphone for eight hours. And the time it was enough to should have put him to sleep. From midnight to 8 o'clock in the morning. And his wristwatch went off at 8 o'clock, and he wasn't finished with his sentence, so he continued on past the beat. I can't tell you how fast people cleared out of that room at 8 o'clock. It was not what we were expecting. We are not conditioned to listen in the quiet place. But I want you to know this. If you really want to hear from God, if you want the blessing of God on your life, 
you're going to have to get still. Get quiet. You wonder why you've never sensed God speak to you? I used to use an expression a long time ago, uh, crawl up into the lap of God and let him hold you. And I finally had a church member come up to me and say, Pastor, I've never, I hear you say that, but I've never, I've never felt like God was, was holding me or touching me or close to me. Why is that? And I said, probably because you don't spend enough time in the quiet place alone with him. You rush in and you rush out. You rush in and you rush out. As if you ever study the tabernacle of the Old Testament, if you look at the approach to the temple in the Old Testament, there, there are gates, there are outer courts, there are inner courts, there's a, a bronze laver to wash your hands before you. I mean, there's an approach before you can even get to God. But we're Americans. We want instant mashed potatoes, microwave popcorn. We're so lazy, we couldn't program 3.30 on, on the screen. They just started making microwaves with a popcorn button to push. Because it was so hard to press timer, 3.30, start. Ah, that's a whole lot of work. Doop. You don't even have to press start. You just press doop. And it better not burn. Rush in, rush out. Squeeze God in when you can. God's not looking for that. He's looking for people who love him. Are you hungry for God? If you're not, you're feeding on too much junk. See, that's why Jesus said when you fast. Fasting is expected out of the Christian. Because God wants us to get hungry. He wants us something to happen on the inside of us that causes us to realize, I need more of God. If you're not hungry, you got too much going on in your life. You're filling up on all the wrong stuff. I want you to get hungry for God. You got to get away from the hustle and bustle. You got to get along with God, and you got to listen on the inside. Well, Pastor, I want three simple, easy things to do. I want to click my heels. That's why so many people come for prayer. Prayer lines, touch me, anoint me with some oil, and fix everything in my life. Got oil on this pulpit. We used to have anointing of oil services every Sunday morning when we started. Then when I realized there's the same handful of people coming with the same handful of bondage, I thought, we're not going to keep doing this. So I believe in the anointing of oil and the laying on the hands. I, I believe in being slain in the spirit. I, but I believe if, if God lays you down, you get up a different way. Wanting someone to anoint you so you don't have to do the work. God is not a magic genie. God's not here to give you three wishes. God has opened the door, which is Jesus Christ, to allow us access to the Father. The access is there. If you don't have it, that's on you. 
Are you willing to get quiet and listen on the inside? I love first Sunday night. Every month, first Sunday of the month at 6 o'clock, we pray from 6 to 7. No noise. No singing, no preaching, soft music playing in the background to cover up the snoring and the belly rumble. We just sit in the stillness of God and talk to Him. Add this, I'll give you one thing that you can do easy. If you spend time with God and you pray to God, do this. Don't get right up after you say amen. Stay there. That's what I tell God. I don't know what else to say, God. But I love you, and I want to hear from you. And if you'd be willing to say something to me right now, I'm just going to stay here and listen. Sometimes nothing. Sometimes God will begin to fill my mind with thoughts people that I need to pray for that I didn't things that I should be doing that I wasn't get on your knees and pray if you're physically able knee praying is the best posture for prayer it's how Jesus prayed if you're not physically able God understands he loves you he's not he's not an evil dictator demanding legalistic fellowship but if you're physically able get on your knees and pray and after you say amen stay there for a minute or two and just listen and maybe God will say something and if he doesn't do it again the next time because here's the reality God is worthy of more than we give him we agree with that so let's covenant to give him more pray with me God thank you for your love for your mercy for your grace thank you for your spirit God that lives inside us that draws us and compels us to be and to do all that you've called us to be and to do. God, I pray, Lord, that you would create in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. God, I pray that you would draw us closer to you by your spirit. God, I pray that you would give us a passion to spend time with you. Help us, God, to withdraw from the hustle and bustle of the world. Help us, God, to push back from our worldly appetites and to long to be in your presence. Help us to move closer to you moment by moment, day by day. You are God alone. Besides you, there is no other. That is our confession. We believe in your son, Jesus Christ. We believe that he lived, died, was buried, and rose again. We believe that you're the one true and living God, and we need you. We need you, God, more than we act like we do. We need you, God, to transform us into the people that you created us to be. This is not something we can accomplish on our own, so we ask you, God, to have your way in our life, have your way in our time, have your way in the way we spend our days. God, help us to make you bigger in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the ALCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. 
and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.